Welcome to the Growing Green Landscapes Podcast with Jeremiah Jennings. While still in his early 20s, Jeremiah already runs a successful six-figure lawn maintenance company. Listen in as he and his guests share the things that have brought them success that can help you in your business. As a young entrepreneur in the green industry, Jeremiah emphasizes the tips and tricks involved in running a lawn maintenance business while discussing the principles applying to all small businesses. If you're wanting to grow, become profitable and professional, you're in the right place. And now, here's your host, Jeremiah Jennings. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the show today. We have an amazing guest. Mike Andes is joining us on the show today. I am so excited to have him on here. He is going to bring so much value to you all. Uh, I know it did for me. The interview was just awesome. He spent about 45 minutes with us chatting, and uh, just so many topics got covered, so much value, so much knowledge just put out there for you all to hear. So thank you all for tuning in. If you would, uh, leave those ratings and reviews if you like the episode, if it helped you out. Really help us out and boost us in the algorithms to get us up at a, uh, out there to a better audience and a bigger audience. So we want to grow the community one relationship at a time, but if we do that, we need to we need y'all sharing the show and we need the uh, listeners' help. So if you would, if you enjoyed the episode, Share it on on Instagram. Leave those ratings and reviews. That'll really help us. Uh, I can't wait for you to hear the today's show. Please stay tuned. Listen to the whole thing. We get into some good things at the end. Uh, I'm just going to kick it over here. We're going to listen to uh, some words from today's show sponsors, and then we're going to hop right on into the episode. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm going to have to shovel. I don't even have a snowblower. <laughs> Nobody to plow me. Oh my God, the neighbors suck. They don't help. Oh my God, what am I going to do? Do you want to keep the cash flowing this winter? Head over to LauntrepreneurAcademy.com and check out all of Brian Fullerton's new courses and powerful resources to get you cashing in on that white gold through plowing snow. The Snow Plowing Training Course is easy to understand and you'll learn what it takes to do the job effectively and how to bid, price, and estimate snow plowing for both residential and commercial properties. LawEntrepreneurAcademy.com has three new resources to take the hassle and guesswork out of securing your snow removal jobs, plus there's eye-catching marketing materials that can help you secure new clients quickly. Ready to crush the snow game this year? Visit LawEntrepreneurAcademy.com or use the link in the podcast description. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the Growing Green Landscapes podcast. This is your host, Jeremiah Jennings. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode today uh, here on the podcast. I'm excited to be coming to you with another guest episode. These are my favorite by far. Uh, we get so much value out of these, and I'm excited to see where uh, where this show goes. We have a very, very special guest on today. I'm honored to have on uh, Mike Andes with Augusta Lawn Care and whatever. You got like 10 other businesses, man. I can't even name them all off. How are you doing today, buddy? Good, good. Thanks for having me on, Jeremiah. Absolutely, I'm I'm honored to have you here. So we're not gonna we're not gonna beat around the bush, guys. We're just gonna hop right into the show today and kind of see where it takes us. So, Mike, uh, I, I like I said, super thankful for your time today. Thank you for hopping on here with us, and uh, hope to hope to bring a really good quality show out to these guys that are out there listening, and these uh, maybe even women out there, uh, these young entrepreneurs that are starting. Maybe it's in their green industry business or outside of the green industry. If you're just kind of starting out as an entrepreneur. Uh, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So if you want to, Mike, I know you're kind of like uh, social media is definitely growing for y'all and Augusta Lawn Care and uh, all the other side ventures that you have going on. Y'all are growing on the social media side of things. But in case there's anybody out there who doesn't, who hasn't heard of your name yet or, or Augusta Lawn Care, um, would you take us to just kind of a kind of give us a backstory on how you got to where you are today, um, kind of how you got started in your lawn care business and then all the other businesses that you've built along the way? Yeah, so I like a lot of us uh, out in the industry uh, probably have started when I was really young. So I started mowing lawns when I was 11 years old. And then I went to college when I was really young. I thought I was going to become a doctor. So I actually went to start college when I was 13 and paid my way through college uh, mowing lawns. And so at the time, it was my brother and I, uh, we call it Andy's Lawn Care, just our last name. And then when I was 18, I finished my undergraduate degree, was going to go to medical school at the time and decided to uh, cancel my applications for medical school and go get my MBA, my master's in business administration. At that time, when I was 18, as I was doing my MBA at night, I started Augusta Lawn Care. Uh, and so wanted to kind of scale it up and grow it beyond just, you know, my brother and I mowing on the weekends. And so uh, since then, uh, it's been about eight, 
eight, a little over eight years now. And so two years ago, we started franchising. So we now have set over 70 locations around North America, US and Canada. Uh, and uh, yes, yeah, so we kind of went the franchising route. I own a few of those in North Carolina, New York and Washington state uh, personally, but then the rest of them are franchised. So kind of a really cool uh, gig because I'm able to see so many landscapers start and I'm able to see a lot of the patterns of where people uh, struggle with, what what are the common hurdles for growth and a lot of the struggles that you go through at each stage of growth when growing a lawn care business. So really, really fun, very interesting and, and really cool to see the progression across the whole country and different climates and different regions and how growing a lawn care business can differ so much in, in these different areas. Yeah. You literally have your hand in like how many, however many different businesses that you have out there. What, how many franchises do you have now? Did you say that or did I miss? Did I miss that? Or yeah. did you say? Yes. Yeah, so we, yeah, we, we have a little over 70 now. Okay. Um, and then I also do other things like other businesses you mentioned is like lawncarebookkeeper.com, lawncarewebdesign.com, lawncaremedia.com. And those four, those are for other landscapers outside of the franchise. Um, but most of my time, 95% of my time is spent uh, on Augusta Lawn Care. Okay. So it's really cool to me that you get to, it's cool to me that the social media side is blowing up for you because you have literally seen, it's like you're saying, you're in all these different climates around the country. Like you have a different perspective on this. And I think almost anybody out there does besides uh, people that franchise, because you, you literally, like you're saying, you get to see the, the climates in North Carolina and the struggles from all around the country. And even like economically too. Uh, I mean, how does that play into things? Like you get, do you feel like you have a better, um, the, the franchise and do you feel like you get to help pe- more people by starting these franchises because you have such a, uh, an experience, I guess you could say, from seeing all these people real time, uh, and even over the the two years. I mean, you've seen how much stuff has changed in the past two years. That's we can all we've all seen that, and we know what where the economy is heading and, and where it's come from. So, how do you think that kind of uh, gives you a benefit when it comes to these franchises and helping people start up? Because you have uh, had such a hand in all these different people around the country starting their companies. Yeah, it's it's funny because I kind of I kind of uh, look at it sort of like a parent and child relationship. It's like when when you when you have a kid and you kind of they're going through adolescence and their their teenage years and you know kind of trying to grow up and you kind of see them struggling through all the things that you struggled through. Yeah, and you almost want to you almost laugh a little bit because you like you know exactly what's about to happen because you went through it the same way. And so it's similar with franchising, except I get to see like, I've seen 70 kids now, yeah. 70 of the people that I really care for and love and want to see succeed. And, you know, I know what they struggle with. I know their personal issues. I know their health issues. I know all of those things. And so it's very, uh, it's stressful. The same way being a parent is to kind of have to see your kid go through Cause some things you can't, you can't just drag them through, right? And yeah. being part of a franchise is helpful. You get certain systems and things like that. But at the end of the day, business is a lot about, it's just like overcoming personal issues, growing yourself professionally in your own leadership style. And a lot of that I can't do for, for someone else, but I get a, I, I have to kind of see them go through that evolution and go through that, those, those struggles. And sometimes it's not easy. It's sometimes a little bit stressful, but uh, it's extremely rewarding when they come on the other side and you've, you've been able to say, you know, you've done a part of that kind of like the same way that a parent would be proud of them, you know, a kid graduating or, or, you know, you know, walking across the aisle and getting the diploma. Like there's a certain sense of pride there. And there's definitely, that's what I live for is seeing the young guys, especially uh, kind of get past, uh, you know, things in their past, maybe financially not set up for success or not having a good family structure uh, and being able to use business as a way to mold their character and, and grow and then uh, financially succeed. And I love that you that you show character in there, and it kind of use business to help them in their in their life. It's not it's not all about money at the end of the day. It's it's not. It's about what kind of character you have, what kind of family you have, and, and what kind of life you're living. To uh, and, and I think you are a fellow Christian, I believe, Mike. Um, so we we talk about that on our show a lot. I hope it doesn't. I hope you well, you don't mind us talking about it on here, but because um, you have a you have a Christian background, if that's right. Uh, don't you? Were you raised? Um, was your dad in the ministry or anything like that? I thought I'd heard that at one point. Yeah, my dad's a minister, okay. and then his dad was a minister, so kind of from a, a long line. Yeah, of, so of you've ministry. been in it. Yeah, so. I, hey, I love it. <laughs> my dad was a I was a PK too, so uh, I I know exactly what it feels like to to go through that. But it's cool to me that you kind of take that and you've you've moved into the business world now. So you're not a minister, you're not a minister, but you're taking the stuff that you learned and you're taking it into the business world. So you are furthering the kingdom of God by. Um, helping these people, helping these franchisees start their companies. And like you're saying, 
build a life for them that means something more than money. It builds their character. It builds their morality. Uh, it helps them provide for their families that they can create one day. And you have seven other people on the end of that now that are who, who knows how many impact, how much impact those seventy people are having all across the country, all across the world. Uh, so I I really admire you for the franchising part of things because that's a really unique thing. Uh, I actually have somebody in my networking group who does franchises, and he talks about how hard it is and stuff. And uh, it's not something that I think I would want to get into, but I admire you for doing it. And I just uh, if there's anybody out there that wants to maybe check, check into that, how would they get in? How would they look into doing that? If there's somebody that listened that thought uh, I want to start, but I don't know how, and maybe I want to do the franchising route. Yeah, you know, I, I, we don't really pressure anyone to join the franchise. Like, we really want it to be a very beneficial from yeah. you know, mutually that you're going to grow your business. And so, you know, AugustaLongerServices.com slash franchise has a whole bunch of videos on it. But, you know, when we talk to you, we don't really try to pressure it because, you know, I think that there's some people who need to do it independently. Some yeah. people just, they have to go. It's kind of like the kid that just has to go and, you know, mess up a little bit in life and then they'll figure it out themselves and they'll kind of come bumbling through, but they'll learn a lot from it. And some people need to go through that. And I'm not opposed to that. Um, I think it does definitely save some time and money uh, of trying to figure things out in yourself by just having a system that you can follow a network that you can tap into and ask for advice. And that's really the part that I enjoy so much. And that's where, you know, franchising for me was so, so fulfilling because like I had stake in, in some regard yeah. to someone's success, right? In the past, like I've done the consulting and things like that in the podcast I've had for years, but like at the end of the day, I was just giving suggestions and it was like, take it or leave it. Well, now it's like, they're part of my brand and like, we are on the same team. Right. And so, uh, to have that skin in the game just elevates the stakes. I feel so much more when I'm trying to help someone or improve their business. And it, and it's almost like you probably have like a sense of responsibility. Do you feel that at all? Because like the stuff that you're telling them, they're relying on to build their family and to, to put food on the table for their kids and stuff. So, that that's something that we can kind of transition to what we want to talk about next is scaling the business. You scaled to these franchises, but you scaled Augusta first. Um, our audience, I feel like, is a lot of uh, younger guys that are starting out and guys that are, maybe are on the fence about scaling or not. I've personally thought about that. Do I want to scale? Do I want to stay small, uh, one or two man crews? And, and I'm still figuring that out. But if you would kind of walk us through these steps of scaling, I guess you could say maybe maybe, I don't know, two or three big points or however you want to go about it. I know you've given advice on this in the past, so I'm sure you have a method of doing it. But to the guy that's out there that's maybe thinking, should I scale? What are the benefits to it? Uh, what am I getting into? And I know it's going to be a short, condensed version. I mean, there's a lot more to go into here. But how could you? what advice could you give somebody who's thinking about scaling and how you did it? Yeah. If you're solo right now, you're, you're by yourself out in the field working, what you really want to make sure you're, you, you've buttoned down is that you're profitable before you go get an employee. Uh, a lot of times the reason people will get an employee or two and then retreat back to being solo is because they were never profitable enough to actually afford an employee. And there's going to be a massive overhead jump when you get an employee. So what I recommend is, hey, Try to maximize profit. Try to maximize revenue before you go get an employee. That means I really want you to be doing at least, like you can do 90, 100,000 in revenue by yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing 30 or 40,000 revenue, you don't need an employee. Yeah. And I'm talking about annualized basis, but it probably means your pricing isn't right. It probably means that you're not efficient enough. You're not getting enough budget hours in a day completed. So trying to figure out that first, especially if you have a family and you got to provide and you can't just afford to leave all the money in the business, you better make sure that you're producing enough profit before you go at an employee and then their family is now relying on a paycheck and putting food on their table. Um, so I feel like it's it's a as a business owner, we're, we're somewhat obligated to make sure that we have enough profit in our business. It's not because we're trying to make a bunch of money or we're greedy. We have a, a, an obligation. If we're going to go hire people and they're going to depend on our paycheck, that, um, that we are producing a, a sustainable business. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is in terms of growth is like, hey, if I'm going to solo to an employee, I want to be doing at least 80 to 90 thousand dollars per year in revenue. And I know that's very generalized based upon like what service you're offering and things like that, For but that's sure. kind of across the board. And then, then it's a matter of like, all you need to focus on is sales and hiring. Th those are the two things that will drive your growth and your revenue past half a million in revenue, mm -hmm. right? You focus on those two things exclusively, just like all in on sales, right? You want to be doing at least 50% close ratio, ideally 70% close ratio. So you got to figure out like, what are the systems to make sure I can follow up with people? I can get, uh, you know, call them back or send them an email and try to get them back in if they're, they've gone cold on an estimate. Uh, it's all about selling. 
Uh, once you pass half a million, you start getting towards that million marker. That's when it becomes much more about leadership and strategy and really honing in the, the system side and, and trying to carve out the five minutes here and the 10 minutes here and you know implementing what we call pay for performance to make things more efficient out in the field. That, that's what it becomes more and more about is systems as you grow the business. But I think for most people, what we struggle with is getting past that $150,000 to $300,000 marker. Yeah. That's a very tough zone for the business, mostly because during that zone, you're extremely busy physically, it's still demanding on you. You're still out in the field working, but at the same time, you have this massive hike and overhead because you have employees. And so a lot of people will kind of get disillusioned in that zone. And so I kind of feel like you either stay at 200,000, you know, that zone, or you speed up to 500,000 mm -hmm. because in between that, usually your, your profits aren't going to go up mostly due to the fact that to get to half a million, you're going to ramp up uh, in overhead employees, you have more trucks, more equipment, more insurance, all the rest of it. So a lot of times between 200,000 and 500,000, there is not much more profit. It's a matter of asking yourself, like, is the goal of this business to be a seven, yeah. $800,000 business? If so, let's speed through this zone. Otherwise, Stay at 200,000 for a while, get some profits, raise your prices, increase your margins, get a one or two really good employees and you know, solidify for a couple of years before you try to scale up and go past half a million. Yeah, so you it sounds you have to figure out what your end goal for the business is when you get to that point it sounds like. You got to figure out do you want to stay at this point for a little while and be profitable or you don't want to get caught in the 350 to $400,000 trap is what it sounds like. The trap of you're not making much profit. You need to get through it or, or stop before you get there. And I'm glad you mentioned the pay for performance. I just wanted to hit on that really quick um, because I hear some people talk about it. It's not too, it's not talked about too often for, that I've heard uh, could be in the wrong circles of, of hearing things. But now you said you start implementing that when you get to those multiple employees, get to like the 500 plus mark. Now, are you saying that you don't implement that when you have one or two employees, or like explain that a little bit? The and explain what P for P is if somebody hasn't heard that. Yeah, we 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 do have our franchises implemented from day one, uh, okay. just so that way they don't have to ever transition. Yeah, but it's definitely something that once you get past a couple of crews, it's extremely important because no longer can you micromanage those employees. You definitely you can't need be it watching where they're at. You can't be exactly right. Yeah. So um, what pay for performance or what we call P for P is, is basically they get a percentage of labor revenue. The employee does every single day. So the more, the more money they make for the business, the more money they get in their pocket. And it's just a, a way to align their efficiency and their speed with their paycheck. Uh, and, and it mostly comes from the fact that, you know, it, I wanted to be able to pay some people more. I wanted to pay employees more. I wanted to give a livable wage. But on the flip side, there were some employees that were just, you know, on their phone, you know, yeah. lazy all day long, and I can't raise their pay. So I want to make it completely merit-based, not based upon who knows me, not who asked for a raise, who has kids and needs more money, uh, who, who got in an accident last week. I want it to be strictly based upon merit uh, and creating that meritocracy by which they get a percentage of the revenue they make for the business. Yeah. Whoever gets the job done, you're going to get paid for it. I mean, that's that's what it sounds like. You, you go out and do the work you're supposed to, and you're going to you're gonna get rewarded for it. Uh, how was, has and that a lot of people are scared a lot of people are scared on that point. Sorry, sorry, Jeremiah. No, like, no, no. Go about uh, about quality, right? Because they think, hey, like if I give people a percentage of all the money they make, they're just going to speed through it all yeah. day. And so that's the part of P for P, the system that is so important. That's what we call the yellow slips and damage cases. So if they get a call back, they're going back to that person's property. Well, there's no more revenue being made. So therefore, uh, they're they're not making any more money on P for P. Yeah. They're going to make sure we make sure they get a base pay, making sure they make it a, a, a floor, but they're not going to be making, you know, performance dollars and killing it. Yeah. Right. We have, we have people mowing lawns, making 28, 29, $30 per hour, every paycheck mowing grass. Yeah. But it's because they get to work. They have a plan. They've looked at their route. They already know what they need on their truck. They already have looked at which customers they're serving that day. They have a plan in place to be extremely efficient. They don't stop at gas stations. They pack a lunch. They're not stopping, you know, for, you know, 10 bathroom breaks and smoke break throughout the day. Yeah. Like that person deserves $30 an hour. Now I can't say the same thing about someone else that comes to work, stops at five gas stations and little, you know, you know lally gags for 30 minutes before and after at the shop while they're drinking on coffee. Like mm -hmm. that's why P for P exists. Do you <clears throat> now in your, in your, uh, I guess you could say in your time of scaling over the, and when you got started to, to where you are now over the past couple of years, um, where, so I guess Augusta lawn care, where is it at for you part? Like in your, in Washington, where you are, 
uh, aside from the franchises, where are y'all at size wise? Right, like, how many are y'all running? Like, I mean, I know you're running multiple crews, but like, how has that worked from employees? Is what I want to hit on here is how long did it take you to get the hiring process down? Because, like you said, it's hiring and selling. So you you figure selling, you need that fifty percent close rate, all that. The hiring is what's so hard right now. It's hard to get people to get out of bed. It's hard to get people to go to work and work outdoors now. It's hard enough to get people to go flip burgers at McDonald's. So how are you how are you getting people to go work out in the field for y'all every day? And what advice do you think you could give somebody from your past years of experience of hiring? I think what we got to embrace in this industry is that we are an entry-level position if you're if you're getting guys to mow and put landscaping blocks together, right? Uh, The thought that you're going to get people that want to be with you for 10, 15 years, uh, and they're going to be in their twenties right now is, is very unlikely. Uh, the, the perception on social media is that, uh, you know, there's other things that they can do and that's the truth. So it's like, what can we offer somebody right in the past? If you just had a, a job, you just expect them to show up to work because like they should be happy that you gave them a job. Well, now they, the the employee has a leverage because they have yeah. 500 other options out the door tomorrow that they could get a job. Oh, and by the way, it's at Amazon where they can make 18 to $20 an hour moving boxes inside of an AC unit or AC uh, a warehouse, yeah. right? Uh, and so why would they want to work out in the blazing heat for 16, 17, $18 an hour when they can do that, right? As an alternative. So what we have to start asking ourselves is why would someone choose us? and our business over that Amazon option? Why would they choose us over UPS or FedEx or every other blue chip company that's looking for massive amounts of frontline staff right now? And I think what we got we to zero in on is what can we offer in the term of, in the form of career development? What can we offer in the form of developing someone's character in terms of, do we have a book club? Do you live audio programs? Do you talk to them about their career? Do you talk about how they can improve? Do you teach them P for P? Do you teach them open book management where they actually they learn the numbers of the business. They learn about marketing. They learn about uh, what a PL is and what a balance sheet is and what good profit margins are and how to cut waste out. And what we can tell them is like, look, I want this is why I tell our, our crew locally is like, um, you know, I don't want you to be here for more than three years. Mm-hmm. I either want you to move up inside of Augusta, which we had that unique because of the franchise. But even if we don't, like, I want you to go do something better. I want something better for you and your family. I want better for your career. And I want, while you're here to work on yourself, you know, we're going to be pushing books like extreme ownership. We're going to be having meetings and talking about our profit and loss statement and understanding what advertising costs are and what's insurance costs and what credit card processing is all about and what margins are good versus bad and why we can or cannot afford certain equipment. That's the type of thing that when they go to their next job is going to set them up for a much better career opportunity, yeah. right? If you go into any position in the second tier of your career after being in front line and you're able to th- start thinking about like waste and start telling managers, uh, like, hey, this could be improved and this could cut out waste and this would cut off five minutes. That is going to set them up for such massive opportunities down the road. And so that's why something like P4P is not about the owner. It's not about the business making more money, profit sharing, open book management. It's not about the, the, the owner. It's about the employees having that opportunity to learn because that's what's actually going to set them apart from the rest of the, the applicants at their next job. So it sounds like you're investing in people. That's what that's what it really sounds like at Augusta. You're doing, and I love that. Uh, you you've created the company culture. Uh, that's one thing that we talk about on here a lot is company culture. We've had multiple interviews talking about that about because I feel like that's necessary. And I think you would back me up 100 percent here to to scale a business is you have to have a good culture, right? Absolutely. So. By creating that culture, you're investing in these people for their long. It's like you're saying you don't want a guy to be mowing yards for ten years in a row. Like that's not what your goal in is, is the company because you want to either move them up in the company or get them out into a better better way of life. So I love that you are investing in people that way, and I feel like it's something that everybody out there who whether you have two guys or ten guys, and I'm not one to talk about having ten guys because I don't. I personally have a couple employees. But for me, I want to invest in them any way I can. And if you're out there and you have those employees, invest in them any way you can because make, don't feel like don't make them feel like they're just showing up to clock in and clock out. That's what it sounds like you have down, and that's why you're getting people to come in and work uh, and and not go to the Amazon jobs. Come to work for you for Augusta and grow into the whether you said the franchises or or better yet, just going off somewhere else and maybe stepping up in management or or whatever, maybe starting their own company one day outside of the green industry. Who knows? But I love the way that you have invested in people and the way that that uh, whether it sounds like you have really hammered down your hiring processes there uh, in Augusta. So 
Aside and I think it's it's a process too, right? It's, it's an evolution. Like to, for me to say here and say, "Hey, like we nailed culture and we have every, all everything figured out," is is completely false. Yeah. And I also believe that the day that someone leaves that is the day, the first day of stasis, the first day of them uh, dying. Yeah. Uh, and, and that culture beginning to erode. And so, you know, we still have problems. We still have times where we have to figure things out. And we're doing things wrong. And you know, even several weeks ago at our local shop, it, like we had a meeting with the crews, like, "Hey, these things need to change, and we want this different." And here's and I had to step back and realize that, hey, like this labor force is different than it was 10 years ago, right? And there's going to be certain changes and they're not going to want overtime and they're not going to care as much about the money as much as uh, different living, uh, uh, work-life balance and things like that. And so those are the type of flexibilities that you have to have if you do actually want a culture is like, hey, it's never going to be perfect. We're never going to get it right. And the, the fact, you know, the ideology that we have it right and perfect is, is way off because I, I'm, I've, I believe there's always room for improvement. Yeah, and and I don't want to. I didn't want to come across that way and saying you do have it figured out, but you have a good model. I guess you could say that's the best way. You have a good model to base it off of, and like you're saying, it's a growing process every day. You're always growing. So if you so we talked about scaling and the kind of the hiring, the selling, creating that culture. Well, aside from that side of things, uh, in today's world, social media and the internet is a huge thing. And I know you uh, have a lot of you have a big hand in that. You have a big hand in SEO. Uh, search engine optimization. And I know you talk a lot about that. If you would, let's go through that a little bit and talk about maybe somebody who's out there that's wanting to do that. How important is it to get on Facebook, get on Google and get these, get their reviews up, get their, uh, the Google, my business, all that stuff figured out. So kind of go into the SEO stuff if you would for a minute and talk about how you've done it and kind of, uh, kind of a game plan for what somebody should do, how to, how to grow their listings and stuff. Totally. So yeah, like, you know, I kind of have a bit of a unique uh, viewpoint because we have lawn care web design where we have about 60 businesses, landscaping businesses that we do their SEO and their web design for. And then we also have the franchise where we have, you know, 70 plus locations all around North America. So I get a really get a, a pretty good understanding of like how long it's going to take to rank in certain areas, et cetera. Um, a few like rapid fire tips I would give to someone getting started. And that is first off, don't go after big cities if you're going to rank well in SEO quickly, uh, because you're going to be up against massive competitors that are spending tens of thousands of dollars. And they have teams of people like myself that are working on SEO. Um, you don't want to be competing against that. You want to go against you suburbs, smaller city names and sub city names in your titles and in your descriptions and in your headers. If you're, if you're going to go target those areas, right? So for example, just, just random example, yeah. I'm not going to go after Seattle, Washington. I'm going to go after potentially something like Everett or Marysville or Tacoma. I'm going to go after all the areas around it. Cause I'm not going to go after Seattle because every big national conglomerate is going to go after them. Right. And if you, especially if you're competing against the likes of like Brightview and you're going for commercial work yeah. or you're trying to, you know, if you, you're local and you have one or two employees, there's just no way you're going to compete against a, a company that's been around for 40 years, has 150 trucks and 350 five-star reviews on Google. So don't, don't try that. Like realize that you don't need to either. You don't need the big market. If you're just getting started, you could literally get started in one neighborhood and be full time if you got enough clients in that neighborhood. So I would really zero in on niche, right? Get a very tight route. And that's great for route density. It's great for profitability, but more important from an SEO standpoint is you can dominate that area, right? So we can rank typically within a few months very well if we're going after small cities where it might take us six to nine months to rank really well in a larger city. Uh, and again, like you said, Google reviews is a massive component of that, along with all the things like keywords and titles and descriptions and all the rest of it. Do you ask your, like, how do you get your customers to leave those reviews? Uh, do you, do you like incentivize? I've seen, I've seen multiple different ways people do that. How do you, par like, how do y'all do that? Or how would you recommend doing that? Yeah, we, we try to keep it on an ongoing basis, right? So what we do is it's just an automation that when every three months, they're going to get a survey. And that survey is going to be out of five stars. And they're only going to get a link for an online review if they leave us five stars, okay. right? So if they leave us four stars or less, it'll ask them for their feedback. That feedback will come to us internally and we can deal with any sort of unsatisfactory service one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one with them. And a lot of times they're leaving that right when our crew just left because they just got the email. They sent and they, they fire back this, very nasty comment yeah. and they think it's going public. You can tell by the way they're typing it. They think that this is a public review and we're able to like literally, like, Hey crew, turn around. They didn't like X, Y, and Z. And then they are shocked and they are super happy after that. 
Um, the, the, the good thing is if they, if they leave a five-star review, now they're getting a link for an online public review and we give them links to Google and Facebook and Nextdoor, et cetera. And so um, that's worked very well for us just to kind of keep that ongoing. And I think a really good time of year, you know, honestly, we had in Christmas and the holidays and Thanksgiving is to ask for reviews from mm-hmm. your, your best customers. And even if you scan through, if you're a smaller company, you may have a couple hundred contacts, just scan through like, oh, these 20 people I know, they would leave me a five-star review. Let me send them all a link and just say, hey, it's Thanksgiving, it's holidays. We really appreciate your business as we head to the end of 2021 or whatever year might be. And um, we really appreciate our review. It helps our business. Like that, that's a great way to kind of get a jump. Um, but kind of that ongoing evergreen is, is have an automated system for you know collecting those five star reviews. And this, I love that answer. Is, this might be a very base, like entry level question. It might be a dumb question, but uh, I, I know that this could. If I wish I would have had it when I started out, so that's why I want to. That's why I want to know this. Like the specific thing is, how would you do that? How do you that? What system do you use to send out those automated emails after you leave? And is that something that you go through y'all and y'all would do, or like? How does somebody set that up? And I know it's a, like a super simple question, and it you you might be out there and you listening and you know the answer, but for those that don't, how like how do you do that? Yeah, we use Service Autopilot. That's the okay. CRM that we do use. Um, so it goes through your automations. CRM. Exactly, and okay. there's other there's other softwares that have. Um, uh, that capability, you know, there's yeah. plenty of flaws with Service Autopilot. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, but uh, it definitely is great for the automation side of things. And 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 the goal is really just to keep it in your CRM so you have that data, right? You can see over time what their surveys are, and you can when someone answers the phone, they're in their profile, they can immediately see what was their last survey? Like, was it a one star, three star, five star? Like you can immediately kind of know where this customer's headspace is at. So um, I think having your CRM is definitely something you would want, even if you did an integration with a different service like MailChimp or something like that. Uh, A lot of those different types of uh, email uh, automated uh, softwares will will do that sort of uh, integration. That's something that I've learned just from like starting the podcast uh, is those email, sending those out to to your contact list can really benefit you. Uh, and, and I've personally never even done it before this year. Um, so I, I like hearing this kind of stuff because uh, I just wish I would have had it two or three years ago when I was starting out because, I, like you're saying, it can really boost you in those smaller cities. If you get 10 or 15 five-star reviews, that's really going to help you um, in, in your Google listings and stuff like that. So we talked about hiring, scaling, all that stuff that goes into running the business. I guess outside of that, do you think um, your MBA – so I, I want to talk college for a minute. Maybe there's somebody out here just going half time, going part time. You're doing it, and they want to go full time. I've had guys reach out to me and said, "Hey, man, thinking about going full time. I'm on the fence right now. What would your advice be in today's world? And we're recording this into 2021 here, right after Thanksgiving. Um, college versus no college. You have an MBA. What is it? And it's obviously helped you in. I feel like it would have helped you in all the ventures that you have done so far. What would your advice be to somebody who's out there who I've like I didn't go to college. I well I went one year and then I dropped out and did it full time. What advice would you give to somebody who's out there who's thinking about going to college versus not going to college? I think for some people they need it for confidence, honestly. I don't think that I learned a whole lot in my MBA that I use every single day, but definitely what it did do is give me a lot of confidence. So when I talk to an accountant, I talk to an attorney, I don't feel intimidated. I know what lingo they're talking about. I know the legal terms. I know the accounting terms. So the the bottom line though is you can learn that outside of college. Yeah, right? you There's can self-educate. Like hundred percent. Right. And I have like an online course you can pay for, but you don't even need that. You can literally just search stuff on YouTube and you will get a plenty of education. Uh, and for most people, that's what they should, they should do. Um, in my opinion, there's, there is a segment of the population though, that they need that, you know, rubber stamp, that piece of paper just to feel confidence so they don't feel intimidated. Uh, and if you're feeling, if you're going to feel like it's going to be a chip on your shoulder the rest of your life, I just go get the piece of paper, especially if you're young. Like, like for me, I wouldn't have got my MBA probably except the fact that I was 18. I'd finished my undergrad degree already. And I was like, I could do my MBA at night. Right. So it was like, I was so young. I should, I knew I should just do it. I was going to pay for it out of pocket, which was expensive, but I didn't have any like family to pay for or anything like that. Right. So, um, you know, I, I went ahead and did it. I think that any of us though could learn a lot of what 95% of what I learned was for corporate America. So we were talking about like stock stocks and you're talking about, um, all sorts of different, 
ratios and things that are only going to be useful if you're talking a Fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. Uh, it very, very little that actually applies to building a, build a business from zero to a million. Uh, maybe some of the stuff I learned, like leadership and things like that, maybe a little bit of that, but uh, it, it wasn't super revelatory, I would say, for a yeah. small business owner. Especially there's with the books that are out there now, the audio books, the, the podcast, there's so much stuff that you can self-educate. Just, just stuff that I've figured out in the past 12 months that uh, has really helped me, that's boosted me to kind of another level because, um, like you're saying, there's just so much stuff to self-educate. There's You could go on, you could go on and on forever and ever and never figure everything out. Um, so I guess you could say the, the SEO stuff, we're kind of circling back now. That was kind of a side... Uh, a side trail there, but back to the SEO thing, your uh, website, that's a big thing that I know you hit on with long care web design. Um, this is actually something I'm personally dealing with that I'm trying to figure out how I want to proceed. Uh, I, I have a web, I have a web page, I guess you could say. I don't have an actual site. Uh, and I've watched your videos in the past about websites and all that stuff. And it kind of goes hand in hand with SEO. Um, what is it, your advice for somebody who's out there that doesn't have a website? Uh, would you say start with a web page like I have? I mean, it's gotten me on the internet. Do you want to go full website? Uh, for, because, and I guess it, doesn't it matter like the difference between size companies? I mean, you don't need a full multiple page website if you're if you have a hundred thousand dollar company. Am I correct? Yeah, I think the big thing is like what you 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 want to put your level of website investment into parallel that with what the ambition is for the business, yeah. right? If you're trying to build a million dollar business and you want to do it in the next three to five years and you want to scale pretty quickly, you're gonna need a really great website. If you want to just keep yourself busy, have one employee. There's so much work out there. You're probably within a year or two going to be completely filled. Even if you didn't have a website, you could literally mm. put stuff up on Craigslist and Facebook and you'd be busy. So the, the thing that I would think about though, even if someone was at say two, three, four, 500,000 revenue is you got to ask yourself this one question as could I raise my price from $50 an hour to $60 an hour simply because I have a great website that looks really good, has great videos, has all my reviews on there, all the different services, ranks well in my area. Let's assume no leads, not a single lead comes from that website, not a single lead. Would it give the perceived value that allows me to charge $10 more per hour? Because if it does, and I have two employees, let's say I have two employees and myself, right? Three people. And I, we all work, let's just say 2000 hours in the year. That's 6,000 hours. If I can charge $10 more per hour, that's $60,000 in profit that I can get simply because I raised my hourly rate by $10 per hour. And I only did that because of the perceived value that customer had because of my website. Mm. That makes a lot of sense to go spend some good money on a website. Um, and so uh, I think that's the, the calibration I would ask myself is like, look, if I feel like I could raise my prices even by $5 an hour, I should be getting a, great, a better website. I should be investing in that because perceived value is what's going to increase close ratio. It's going to bring in leads. Like we didn't even talk about that. Mm-hmm. And it's going to allow you to charge a premium price because that premium brand and that perception from the customer. Well, talk about bringing in leads. How, how does your website, how have you personally seen, does it bring in more leads? I mean, that that's as something that is, it's kind of a new, the internet is not a new thing, but uh, it, it's crazy to see how it actually affects people's businesses and how a good website does make a difference. It's made a difference for me and my little web page that I have. So how does it how does it bring in more leads for you that you've seen? Yeah, typically for the first six to eighteen months of a business's uh, existence, most of your leads are going to come from paid advertising. You're mm-hmm. going to pay for every single lead, right? You're going to pay for the Facebook ad, the Google ad, the whatever, right? You know, flyers, door hangers. You're paying for every single lead at the end of the day. The goal is to get it to where your website is bringing leads to you, and you're not spending any money on advertising. Mm-hmm. And so that organic, those organic leads, that's where your customer acquisition cost is extremely low. You're talking a couple dollars just to keep you know your domain site up and maybe pay a developer yeah. per lead in comparison to 50, 60, $100 per lead if you're paying on ads. Uh, or you're going to pay Angie's List or HomeAdvisor or whatever. Yeah. Like That's the goal is to get your customer acquisition costs down. Most people don't have the long-term mindset of, oh, okay, this is a 12-month investment, but this is the bottom line. And that is eventually you'll get your business the size you want it to be at and you don't want to keep growing. And what you can do is stop advertising, raise prices, and still get leads from your website yeah. because now you've been doing business for two, three, four years. And you're like, Hey, I like my business at 600,000. I'm, I'm, I don't want to grow. Okay. I'm going to stop advertising. Boom. Better margins. I'm going to raise prices. Great. Better margins. And now my website is still going to bring enough leads into me to at least 
preserve my attrition. So I'm going to lose cups customers because they move yeah. or they pass away or whatever happens, sell their house. But I need enough leads to keep my pipeline full and keep me at 600,000 at least. And so that's the end goal, right? In my mind is get your website to be the lead generation that you don't have to keep pumping money into. Because that moment when you turn ads off and you increase prices is the moment your business becomes profitable. And most people don't actually get to that point in this industry because we're grow, 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 grow. We're pumping money to ads or hiring or buying more trucks. And we never actually get to the point where like, hey, turn the ads off, put that money into my pocket, raise my prices, have better margin. That's where this business becomes really, really interesting from a profitability standpoint. Have Do less work and make more money. That, I mean, that raises those Let's prices. Go. Yeah, exactly. How much better does it get? Uh, I love it. So, and I, one more, I got a few more things I want to talk about before we wrap it up. I, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, debt. Debt is a big, it's a big topic that people talk about. It's a big, it gets, causes some controversy between some people. Um, you've grown a multi-million dollar company. How have you done it? Have you leveraged debt in the past? Do you recommend leveraging debt? I, it, I want to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, at the end of the day, if you can confidently predict and know beyond the shadow of a reasonable doubt that you can get a return on your money greater or in excess of the interest rate, you should technically get debt all the time. Yeah. All right. So if I can go get money for 5% and I know by doing that, I'm going to get 15% back on that money by getting more jobs, more profits, et cetera, I should technically do that infinitely. Yeah. Right. Cause like, I basically have this infinite amount of money. There's a reason why you look at companies like Apple who make billions and billions of dollars in profit, and yet they have tens of billions of dollars worth of debt. So you can't say that debt is bad. They're doing it for one reason. They know that they can get money for 2% and then go deploy that capital and get 15, 20% return on capital. Mm. So that at the end of the day though, is a question mark that I have to ask owners. Like, do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt you're going to get that return. Mm -hmm. And that's where I feel com more comfortable telling someone to go get debt is like, if you know that by having this debt, you're going to get X amount of dollars, then go for it. But yeah. if you don't, and you don't have a confidence in your profit margins and you're losing money every single month, going into debt is just going to compound the problems that you have. Uh, and so that's when it, it gets a little bit dicey and a lot more numbers involved. But I would say the bottom line is if I can get $5,000 in debt, and I know by doing that, it's going to make me $15,000 this year. Yeah. I basically have like a 200% return on capital. I should do that all day long. Yeah. Right. That's not but you got to have confidence in those numbers. Yeah. You got to, you got to be smart about it. That's what I've, that's one thing that I've learned and kind of what, what I want to give the word to somebody is if you're going to do it, be smart about it. Get advice from people. Like you're saying, know that you're going to be able to do it. Talk to other people in your community. Talk to what is the workload like for everyone else around you? Is everyone else covered up? Because uh, that means you could end up covered. I mean, if they're covered up, that means there's plenty of work to go around. So don't just go out and buy a sixty thousand dollar truck. Because and what's funny is how is how things have changed in the last eight months. And I was actually watching one of your videos the other night about how you were saying you were wrong because used trucks have appreciated and you they've appreciated in the last eight months. And those people that it's funny that. You you got in debt. You bought the truck that was seventy thousand dollars, and now you could sell it for seventy five or eighty. So it's funny to see how that's changed. But that typically, it doesn't work that way. Um, so are are you going to go spend that seventy five thousand dollars for the thirty five hundred to pull a dump trailer that you needed or whatever it is? Is that going to generate you like you're saying? Is that going to generate you more revenue one thousand percent? And how does that work for in, in y'all's company? Have you have you personally have y'all leveraged debt to to grow to your point? Um, in terms of like the franchise or like the local shop, the local, your local or where y'all are. Yeah. So uh, equipment, we definitely used, uh, to grow the business. Uh, we got debt on, yeah. so like skid, skid loaders. Uh, we never bought trucks that were financed. Um, a lot of times the reason is because people look at the financing charges as the only cost of, of having a loan, mm -hmm. but they don't take into account is the fact that your insurance is double or triple the premium because you have to have low deductibles and you have to have really high premium, uh, high coverage amounts. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's something that's kind of a hidden part of the truck side. So we've never financed trucks. We've only ever financed our mowers and our, our skid loaders and mostly do the fact that they gave 0% for three to five years yeah. and there wasn't much of a cash discount. So it's like, Hey, we might as well do it. Um, but I would definitely recommend someone doing someone to do that as they grow the business. Mm -hmm. As the business gets to the point though, it's kicking off a ton of cash. Uh, what I would be challenging someone to do is take that money and put into an asset that goes up in value. Now, like you said, 
Yes, in the past year or two, yeah. trucks have gone up in value, but I would bet every single dollar I have that in 10 years, my car is going to be worth less than it is today. Oh, for sure. uh, I, can, I would also bet every single dollar I have that in 10 years, rents are going to be higher and property values will be higher. So I'd rather put my money, my cash into an asset that appreciates over time and has great tax benefits like real estate in comparison to you know a skid loader or another mower because like, oh, I got to get a, a deduction on my taxes, yeah. but that asset's going to go down in value over time. Yeah. So just be smart about it. Get advice. Uh, you're, you're not a financial advisor. You're just out here giving stuff that you've, that you have said that's worked for y'all and, uh, just want to help, help those guys that are out there just trying to grind and grow their businesses. So I really appreciate your time. We've gone through so many topics. I think it's going to bring a lot of value to our listeners. Uh, do you have anything that you want to like, what, what would a piece of advice that you wouldn't give out to, to somebody who you, something you wish you would have known when you started eight years ago or something like, what do you want to leave, leave the audience with today? I would say it's definitely twofold. One is you cannot overemphasize the importance of selling when you're under half a million. And then after half a million, you cannot underemphasize the importance of delegating and not micromanaging your team. Mm. Uh, both of those things are things that I struggle with. Um, and I, over, I was over, able to overcome them, but I see every single owner when they're getting to 500,000, they get distracted by 100,000 other things besides the thing that actually moves in needle that's selling, getting more jobs. It is working on the website. It's driving top line revenue. Uh, and then as they grow their business past half a million, I just see so many people getting focused on a hundred other things you know, the embroidery on their hat, their uniforms, mm. you know, uh, the, 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 what kind of chocolate and uh, coffee they have in the mornings at the office, like all the stuff that doesn't matter versus the thing that actually matters that is delegation and not micromanaging and not watching over everyone's and letting people make mistakes on your dime. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be wrong sometimes and they're going to surprise you the upside. Uh, and, and I had to learn that the hard way. I still am learning that. And I think that those are probably the two things I would, I would hand off to someone in, the, in, the, in that position. I love it. Those are things that I that I'm looking forward to. Maybe maybe I will have to go through those one day when I scale my business. And if you're out there and you're listening, those are things that you start now. Sell, sell, sell. Uh, that's something I have to work on because, it, it, and I don't think it's natural for everybody to just walk up to somebody's door and hang out, push out, pass out flyers and postcards and and like you're saying, sell. But you have to if you want to generate the income. I mean, you have to. You, that top line has to go up by one way or another. And did you do a lot of door knocking? Like, I mean, that is that how you sold when you were starting out? I mean, did you just go out and post pass out postcards and how how, how did you sell? What do you mean by selling when you're growing? Yeah, well, when, when you first get started, you really usually have more time than you do money, mm -hmm. right? Like, so when I got started, I maybe had $500 to go spend on marketing. So yeah. like, it was a matter of like, hey, I got to go print off door hangers. I'm going to knock on, on people's house, you know, knock on their door. I'm going to put a door hanger on their, their front door. And if they're not home and if they are home, I'm going to say, hey, can I give you a price for your lawn? Like that's grinding time, yeah. right? As you grow your business, you're usually going to have more money, less time. And therefore that's when you're going to deploy it against ads, online ads, maybe every door, direct mail, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I don't, I'm not, everyone thinks like, oh, you must be so extroverted, like love selling. It's like, no, I don't. I hate selling to a cold audience. I hate it. Right. But at first you don't have anyone in your database. You don't have any contacts. So you're going to have to go get, do do stuff cold, right? Yeah. Contact property managers. You're gonna have to contact random people and try to, you know, knock on their doors. Over time, the game that you want to play, start playing, is if you have 300 people in your database, you better make sure you're staying in touch with those people because mm. they're not cold. They're yeah. warm leads. They've asked for estimates before. They they've literally raised their hand before and said, "Hey, I need help on my property." Why would I not be trying to stay in touch with those people? Um, and so I think a lot of times we are always going after the next shiny thing, you know, getting the next fish on the line. Yeah. And it's like, oh, uh, there's there's one in your net literally yeah. right next to the boat, just pull it in. And so those warm leads is what you want to focus on, in my opinion, as the business gets past like year one. Yeah. Follow up. That's one thing that I've learned. Follow up. Follow up with people that you've talked to, like you're saying, six months ago. Maybe they, maybe you talk to them and you let them go. Follow up with them. Keep it, stay in touch with them. Uh, well, as we wrap things up, we, there's so much stuff that you go through, Mike. I just want to run through them real quick. Uh, you have what? Lawn Care Web Design. You have Landscape Business Course. Uh, and But your conference coming up, that's what I want to talk about really quickly, is Landscape Summit. Hit on that really quick. Maybe there's somebody who has to, who's out there that's wanting to scale and grow and they haven't heard about it. What is it? When's it coming up? And how can they get there? Yeah, January 13th, 14th, and 15th. Uh, we have it local here. It's three days long. Uh, we don't. It's not like GIE where you have fancy like equipment and trade booths. It's like three solid days of just hardcore business stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a lot of fun. 
you know, feel free to come out and meet other, a lot of other uh, landscape entrepreneurs that are pretty in the details and in the weeds of their business. Okay. And we'll put links to that uh, in the show notes today about how to get, uh, where to register and all that stuff. If you're interested in that, go check that out. So I have one final question today for you, Mike. This is something that we do on our show for everybody. Uh, and, and I love it. I haven't prepared you. I always love hearing everybody's real answer. And that is, what is your why? why? Why have you scaled to 70 franchises? And why have you scaled to five or 10 or however many different businesses that you have now? Why do you do it? In the macro, our goal is to change the level of professionalism in the landscape industry. Um, I think in the micro, though, it gets me out of bed every single day when it comes to the franchises and just helping um, other landscapers and entrepreneurs is it's what got me out of a lot of stuff, right? Um, I was young. I was 18 starting Augusta. I was 11 starting pushing a lawnmower around. So I feel like I talk, I get, I get the opportunity to give other people that chance, right? So, you know, we have franchises, franchisees that started, they were, you know, lifties at like the ski lodge. And then they came work for a couple of years, started a franchise. And now they have a couple employees. They have several trucks. Like that is so extremely rewarding. And for them to come out of like a broken family, not having any sort of economic resources and be able to change that, to me, that's possible. So I think in the micro, that's probably what gets me out of bed every day. That's a great answer. I always love hearing everybody's different answers. And uh, everybody, I always like learning from them. And I think people out there learn from them and, and uh, just take it and really, really let it hit home. Why, why do you do what you do? Uh, everybody's got a different one. And I love hearing why, uh, why you do what you do. And, and everybody else, I think, enjoys listening and, and hearing it as well. So I just want to say thank you one more time, Mike. Uh, it's been an honor to have you on the show today. Hope to hook up maybe in the future with you and do a, uh, do a follow-up show down the road. Um, if you are interested, Landscape Summit's coming up. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, you can connect with us on Instagram, at Growing Green Landscapes. Where can they find you on social media, Mike? I just search Mike Andes or Landscape Business Course or something like that. You'll eventually find it probably. Yeah, we'll get there some somehow one way or the other. You'll find him. He's out there. Uh, the algorithms push him, so so he's, he's growing ever so quickly. I love watching the YouTube channel just go up and up and up and up because I was following along when it was still very small. You had just a few thousand subscribers, so I love watching it grow. Well, uh, if you don't have anything else, man, we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, I just thank you again for coming on today. I appreciate it, Jeremiah. Best of luck to you. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the show today. I hope it's been a benefit to you and a help. As always, you can connect with us on Instagram at Growing Green Landscapes. If there's anything we can do for you, reach out. Let me know. Uh, I just want to, like I say always, I want to build this community one relationship at a time and just help us uh, as we go into the future of maybe maybe changing somebody's life by, by this podcast, maybe business tips, whatever it is. I just want to help you out as whatever in whatever aspect we can. So if there's any way we can help you, just reach out to us and let us know. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch up with you all here on the next episode thanks for tuning in to the growing green landscapes podcast we know you have many other podcast options to choose from and don't take it for granted that you chose to spend some time with us today you can connect with jeremiah jennings at growing green landscapes on instagram or use the link in the show description don't forget to smash the follow button on the podcast and leave those five-star ratings and reviews. We hope you crush it in your business and hope to catch you on our next episode.